My name is LJR, and you're listening to Rocket Night. Hi, my name is Anita Stewart, and I'm with Rocket Knight, and I'm sitting here today chatting with Luke Justin Roberts, also known as LJR. And he's a, an independent singer-songwriter. He loves to inspire and empower his audiences. Uh, he got his start with Christian music and playing in the church, but eventually left the church and is finding his own way with a more personal and creative form of artistic expression. Um, recently, we covered you last April or May, I think, when you released your first single, I Can't Say. Now, this next single from the same album um, is titled More Time. So mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your history and how that all came to be, you being in the church and then you leaving and what were maybe some of the, um, how would I say, the directions that you wanted to go uh, after leaving the church and any changes in your music that came about from that? Sure. Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having me, Anita. This is a real pleasure to be here with you. Um, I would say my, my journey with the church has been very interesting, um, at, least, at least for me. I found it to be really kind of weird uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, I grew up, you know, in the non-denominational Christian evangelical context. Um, There's a really big mega church uh, called Grace Community uh, right here in Maryland, and um, I had a lot of a lot of uh, very powerful experiences there in the youth group. Um, I was a uh, worship leader and, um, you know, from singing to drumming to, um, you know, running around on stage trying to get everybody all excited and everything um, and really tried to be a leader in that community too from, you know, a moral standpoint from like trying to um, show what, is it, what does it mean to be a model Christian? How do you really follow the the way of Jesus, um, and really love people. Uh, I did that to the best of my ability. Um, I really try to commit, like, all out to that. Um, it's, I, I think a lot of the breakage started um, when the emotional high of the worship music uh, started to kind of wear off. Um, I think that was late, that was probably late in high school. Um, there are ways in which I didn't really recognize I was using the worship music as a way to kind of numb the pain of the relationships that weren't really working out at that time. Um, God was giving me, you know, um, a very deep sense of things are going to be okay because I have something to hold on to, even though like my personal life just felt like I had nothing. It was, you know, being rejected by the, the girls I really wanted to date and all this stuff. Um, and for me, it was like this, you know, really deep and personal pain that was going on there. Um, and, you know, there were specific songs like, you know, All I Need Is You by Hillsong and a lot of other ones that just really allowed me to pour out all of my heart and feelings um, to God at the same time as being, like, massively affirmed by, you know, 
all these people in the youth group because, you know, I'm up there drumming, I'm up there singing, and people are all, you know, having this very powerful experience. And then, of course, coming up after and be like, that was so awesome, you know, um, that kind of thing. Um, so around the end of high school, um, some of that emotional shot in the arm of, you know, those powerful experiences started to wear off a little bit. Um, and, you know, I started noticing that, like, what I was praying for wasn't really happening uh, so much. So um, I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll hold on to the truth of what I know from an apologetics standpoint, which for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's listening. It's basically, you know, learning to give a defense for the faith and the hope that's within you um, kind of thing. Right. So how can I logically defend that, you know, Jesus was real, that he existed, that he was who the Bible says he was in the New Testament, that he died and rose again, and that there's a compelling enough reason to believe this without just, you know, kind of uh, going on faith, which is in many cases used to mean like being a very unreasonable choice, uh, but just because I feel like it. Um, and I held on to that for a long time um, until eventually I realized, you know, that my, my faith wasn't based on real experiences. And even if I felt like I could logically put together a fairly compelling case for a historical event, there were implications that that had on what my experience should be like now with God, and none of those were true. Um, I didn't feel like I had any real relationship with him at all. Um, when I was honest, I didn't feel like he was real. Um, I felt like I was talking to nothing. Um, and it took me a long time to really recognize that. And I think there was a specific context, which um, it may be you know, a little bit too long to get into here, but you know, a lot of Christians will share about how there's this incredible sequence of coincidences that happens that just shows them God is real. And I thought I was having one of those. Finally, after all these years of you know, having so much faith and you know, in the midst of my doubt and all this kind of stuff, um, and I knew that the one moment that it was all leading up to, if if things didn't work out in the way that, you know, it looked like they were going to or, or should, um, that something in me was going to be, was going to break from a faith standpoint. And it did not, um, it did not work out. And I just remember, you know, trying my hardest to remember the, the, the words in James as we were basically, we were praying for this person to be healed. It was very, very crazy situation. Um, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, um, but he who, asks must believe and not doubt for he who doubts is like a wave, you know, tossed by the wind. Um, right. And like, I was like doing, doing everything I could not to doubt. And there was of course that tiny little bit that's in my mind. that's like, but if this doesn't work, what in the world do I do? And then it didn't work and nothing happened. Um, so that's when I started trying, I started, I stopped trying to force fit the narrative that i had been brought up with um, to what I was experiencing in the world and started to go more so the other way. And from there, I just kind of slowly started to reinterpret different verses of Scripture and different doctrines based on what my experience actually was. Um, and then, you know, eventually I realized that, well, I need to be willing to question all of this, and that included the core foundational aspects, um, like the, the, the typical litmus test of what it means to be a Christian, at least in, in my understanding um, at that time within that denomination is like, you know, do you believe that Jesus died to pay for your sins? If you don't believe that, like, you're not really a Christian anymore. Um, and I just couldn't honestly get behind that anymore. Um, so that's when eventually I, I kind of left. Um, and 
I was in the midst of, you know, grad school and, you know, some relationship stuff that really wasn't working out. Um, so, and, you know, grad school is in like a PhD program in engineering at the University of Maryland, um, working on this autonomous robotic bird that would fly itself around, you know, navigating on its own, stabilizing, keeping itself in the air and doing some aerobatics like flips and dives. Um, so it was a lot, there was a lot of pressure that I felt at the time. Um, and eventually it just was, um, I just kind of separated from that too and decided I need to do what makes me come alive, um, not what brings, you know, stress and anxiety to my life. And that's when I tried to think about, well, what is it that, you know, I really love? And that was creating art. It was empowering people and building relationships. And that's kind of when everything shifted into, okay, well, this is the new direction for me in my life. And the main art form that I've always had is music. Um, so that's right. when I started to really try to, you know, push for that. What, is, what does that look like? Um, and how do, I, how do I bring out my, mo my most authentic music self and also, like, not have it be all this, you know, <laughs> mainly, like, old Christian stuff because I'd grown up mostly with, you know, Christian music. So, and you, pr you probably stayed with the church for a really long time because you felt familiar. That was, even though maybe you weren't feeling it emotionally, was mm -hmm. it familiar? And it was kind of like it was kind of like a warm blanket. You just stayed there because it was comfortable, it was knowable, it it it, it didn't guarantee you really any future, but it was like a comfortable spot to be in. It, would you say that happened? Yeah, um, I think there's, and that makes me think of a couple things. Um, one is that you know we, for for me specifically, it was all that I had. When you're brought up in that context, especially when you're really committed to it, you know, you're taught to put your whole identity in Jesus, uh, that you have nothing without him, that you're worth nothing without him. Um, he's the only thing that gives you worth. We, you know, we literally sing stuff about how wretched we are and how hor horrendously sinful and terrible we are at our core, um, but without, you know, Jesus' blood, like without a blood sacrifice, like we're really like, we're just nothing. Um, so there's like a deep internalized sense of uh, worthlessness uh, without that. So I didn't know how, how could I move on to anything, you know, after that. Um, and then there's also, I've been learning a lot about religious trauma, um, and I experienced, you know, a fair amount of that uh, without even knowing that it was really happening at the time, which is like a really weird thing. Everything just felt so normal, and, well, this is just, you know, this is just normal in what life is. Um, I think that's fairly, it's fairly common in a lot of family situations, too. Like, you don't know, like, that this isn't normal when there's, you know, a lot of emotional abuse going on or, or other stuff that can be really bad. It's just kind of what you grew up with. Um, but sometimes it's only when you share it with other people that they go, oh, my God, that is awful. And when you think about it, you're like, wow, that really was bad. Um, but that's something that will happen in trauma. Um, and as a result of trauma is that you go back to the things that you know and that you're familiar with, uh, even after you've left a context where you got hurt. Um, like they've done studies and they've, you know, they've shown that, you know, people that are in abusive relationships um, with the, when they're younger, like, you know, with their parents, if their parents abuse them physically, they're way more likely to get into relationships uh, romantically where their partner abuses them physically as well. There's dynamics that we're drawn to that are familiar uh, because that's what we associate with love is basically what is right. 
what is familiarity, what, what is familiar to us. So I think there's ways in which that happened for me. Um, and even now there's ways that I'll be drawn to some of those situations. And if I walk into a church, I'll have a weird dual sense of coming home and also like, oh my God, I hate this. This feels terrible being here and I, I don't want to be here. But also feeling deeply like, oh yeah, this is, this is me in a weird, very, very strange, uh, paradoxical kind of way. Now, your album is coming out, um, but you're, you're doing this or producing this kind of interestingly. Uh, you're doing like a single at a time. There's going to be 12 tracks on the album. When the Sky Began to Fall is the title. So mm-hmm. last April, you released, um, it was I Can't Say, mm-hmm. and this next cut will be More Time. Uh, so this album is um, autobiographical and you're also funding of course everybody knows when you're recording an album it's super expensive mm-hmm. so you're you an indiegogo campaign which is really an interesting way to do this because you can you know provide your fans with all kinds of perks and all kinds of um, you know things to support what you're doing so tell us a little bit about the biographical story that you've just told me and how you've translated that into this music and this album and, and you're doing it song by song. So yeah. how is that work? Yeah, so um, the, the main reason for doing it song by song is, you know, because in, in today's world, um, if you release an album, it's one piece of content. Um, and p- typically, you know, people will see the one release and that's kind of it. There's not something new to present regularly to people. And that's pretty important to stay in front of people. So that's part of why I wanted to do that. Because um, that way you can kind of submit something, you can put something out that's new every month that keeps people engaged and interested. Um, but the other reason was that I wanted to add a lot more depth into this uh, project than I've been into stuff that I've done before. Because, you know, like you said, it is very autobiographical for for me it's the first time I feel like I'm really sharing my story in an artistic format um, you know all my other songs before this were, were mainly covers there were a couple original songs but I didn't feel like I really uh, fully shared what it was like to you know kind of step into my shoes in this sort of way so um, and the album has kind of gone through a couple different phases in terms of as I was exploring what do I want to share and how do I want to share this uh, what what was the real message of it? I mean, at first I just thought, well, I'll just put out, you know, my, my best songs from the past, um, you know, 10 years, basically. Um, and then after that I realized, well, actually, you know, looking at this and looking at a lot of my core experiences, I feel like this is, you know, my way of saying, you know, that I'm not a Christian anymore. I felt like that was kind of a core message that I needed to share that, that, um, you know, kind of my, my journey of losing my faith and kind of um, finding a way into something else that's new and better but is not really clearly defined. Um, and then as this is, it's been about three years since I started trying to, you know, put this out and started working on it. Um, so as those three years started to come to a close, and I, I had done a lot of personal work uh, with my family and uh, through a lot of therapy, um, I realized that what was really happening was that there was this, I, I was learning to um, take hold of my own uh, identity and power instead of 
letting other people decide for me what my value was. I, you know, I used to need other people to tell me that I was uh, worth something for, for me to believe that um, and for other people to validate the choices that I was making in order for me to uh, feel like they were good choices or like I was you know, doing something that was worthwhile with my life. Um, and I just desperately needed that validation uh, because I had no identity, you know, outside of that and the, the church stuff. So um, there were, when I look at the album now, it's really like this creation of that identity um, from uh, kind of the ground up after, you know, losing the three overarching foundational parts, which were, you know, Jesus and religion telling me who I was, um, other authority figures in my life through, you know, parents or people in the church, um, kind of giving me that direction, um, and my, my family, you know, in the same way, uh, and then romantic relationships, you know, needing that form of validation to feel like I, I mattered to, you know, from, from those things, losing all those and going through the pain of all that loss and having nothing and the fear um, surrounding that to creating my own identity, taking responsibility for my life and all those aspects and instead giving myself the things that... Um, I was looking for, um, I, I think, rather inappropriately in all those other places. Uh, when I look at it, I don't look at you know, that as being a healthy thing. Um, so right. that's, that's what the album overall is about, is kind of that journey from thinking that I, I knew what everything was and I had everything defined to the loss of all of that identity and then trying to restructure and move uh, through that and move on to something that's, that's better um, and more healthy. And... So the music does that, I think, um, specifically by pointing out certain moments in time that had particular experiences attached to them. Um, but then the videos is a whole other thing because it's, um, it's not just you know, performance music videos where I'm singing the songs. There's, there's actually a narrative throughout all the videos as well. So it's kind of 12 chapters that are you know, sequentially moving through a larger um, story. Um, so, and in that way, I get to kind of add in a lot more of the nuances and the things that I've learned over the years that apply in these songs uh, to to expand on that narrative and to include a lot more of the internal things that were going on um, throughout that whole process. So you've discovered somewhat of the formula that so many other musicians are using right now because when I was growing up, of course, it was the full-length studio album. And right. like you said, releasing that huge piece of material, I mean, it came in handy. That's what, that's what people liked. That, you know, collecting vinyl was like the big thing. Uh, but now uh, when you go to Spotify or any of the other streaming platforms, they're releasing one or two songs. Um, or at the very max, they'll release an EP that ends up having songs that will go on a full-length album maybe later, maybe not, maybe not even. Maybe a lot of these artists are just releasing singles and EPs, and they're not even doing the albums anymore. So it seems like the pricing of producing has gotten so expensive that this new formula seems to work so well. And, of course, with COVID, that really extremely limited a lot of people, so a lot of musicians. So um, was yeah. that a 
time for you, a creative time, um, because it really was like a year off for a lot of people. Were you able to create some more music during that time? So um, it, it ended up being a time where there was a lot of internal processing going on um, and a lot of feeling within my family um, and through therapy. And that ended up freeing me a lot to feel safer in my artistic expression and, and more confident in what I was saying and how I was saying it. And it helped me to open up um, to, to figuring out what is, what is my real story and message you know, with this particular album and how can I express that effectively um, through the video um, and, and through the music. Um, I've been kind of, again, I've been working on the, the project for a number of years, but it's really kind of all come together um, over the past year, uh, especially in the second half of 2020, um, which is when we really started actually doing the, the full-out recording uh, for the album. Um, you know, like I, I'd be in the studio with my brother, who is the producer, uh, Daniel John Roberts, and, um, you know, we'd be <clears throat> trying to do this stuff and, and just record everything, but, you know, he's, him and I share a lot of the same experiences um, growing up in the church and everything. So it's, um, and there's, you know, there's some protective walls up there um, where, you know, we've learned to kind of protect ourselves and there's been challenges relating. Um, so going through this process together um, meant that there were ways in which we, you know, very carefully were navigating this, you know, interaction with each other, um, but ended up being very healing, um, the fact that we were able to do that together. So that was something that was really meaningful and I think helped me to feel more free to be creative um, about the album. Um, I, I did write a couple of other songs um, during COVID. Um, none of those songs are, are actively on the album. Well, actually, yeah, none of them are on the album. There was, there was one, there was one uh, song that I finished in 2020, um, one or two songs that I finished in 2020 uh, that are on the album, but I've been kind of planning for them to be there I just knew that, like, I want to flesh this one part of this out more, and it's not really defined. Uh, but I found that I opened up a lot creatively on the album uh, because I was able to do so much internal healing. And now I feel much more, in general, like there's this huge open world for me to explore creatively um, instead of feeling uh, very closed off and, I think, operating from more of a fear mentality um, uh, the way that I used to. So I feel much more open now. So um, there's on on the EPK that I got. I got some information about some of the artists that you really like, uh, and Peter Gabriel was one. Mm -hmm. uh, the 1975. I absolutely love both of those. Coldplay especially. Um, Hillsong United and Ex Ambassadors. Is there anybody new that you're listening to right now that you really like, and maybe people haven't heard of yet? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple bands I really like right now. Um, one is called Recent Rumors. Um, I just think they're, they're really fantastic. Um, they're kind of similar to the 1975, um, but a little bit different vocal tone, um, but a lot of really cool percussive elements um, and uh, you know, very pop. Um, and they've also got some, uh, some nice guitar uh, riffs in there, which I, I really appreciate. Um, 
Let's see, who else am I listening to right now? Um, let me, I'll just pull up my, my running playlist here so I can um, read off a couple of the names that I, I'm really loving. Um, let's see. And it's interesting that you mentioned the 1975 because Maddie Healy, the lead singer, um, who I just think is adorable, and, and he's really quite a good, I mean, he has just beautiful vocals, mm-hmm. but very impressive with his own um, depression and some of the mental health things that he's gone through over the past couple of years. And he, he seems to have come to a, real, a really nice balance in his life lately. So, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why the band has succeeded the 1975, so um, mm. because because of his um, willingness to make that public and to fix it, you know. Yeah. So uh, so that's kind of interesting about him. Um, yeah. But, uh, so yeah. So what does your playlist look like? <laughs> um, so there's there's a couple of artists on here I really like. Um, Sub Radio is a great one. Um, there are actually some friends of mine um, that have just been really killing it um, with their upbeat pop sound. Um, they're also very much in line with uh, the 1975, um, but they've got the lead singer, uh, Adam, just has this incredible vocal range, um, incredible control, and they do all their own production and everything. And uh, it's, it's been really cool to see them do their thing and just have it be so badass. Um, Dead Like Disco is another one I really like. They're, they're a lot smaller. It's a, it's a duo. Uh, also, some of my friends, um, Jamie is the lead singer, uh, but just super pro sound and, like, really original stuff, um, but also really catchy. Um, let's see. Other than them, I really do like The Night Game. Um, they're really good. Um, there's a song, I Feel Like Dancing, that I like a lot. Um, yeah, and then I've I've got some recent rumors on here. <laughs> um, now, and Corey Wong is also great. How important is it for you to be doing your own production? Um, not just mo- money-wise um, and thinking about the cost, but how important is that creative expression to you? So it's, it's very important to me. Um, I guess the first thing is to define the production, because this, apparently, I, I learned this during the album production process, is that there's people, when somebody says, oh, this person produced my record, that can mean everything from this person, like, came up with all the creative ideas other than, you know, the literally the words and the melody, um, all the way, and, and then, like, you know, did the mixing and, you know, created all the beats and stuff and mastering and everything, all the way to right. this person is just helping bring out the most in the artist from a pretty much completed set of work and is kind of running the project um, to, to really make it be the most efficient, um, make sure all the people are there when you know, they need to be and all that kind of stuff. So there's a variety of roles that somebody who's doing the production um, may take on. Um, so for me, when I think of producing, uh, I typically think of the person who's like, doing the arranging, who's coming up with the creative ideas, the emotional, you know, aspects of the song, um, you know, what instruments are being played, what are the parts. That's typically what I think of, uh, although I'm trying to change to what I think is probably the more industry standard, which is the second one I was talking about earlier. Um, but it does have a lot of variability there. But 
so when I when I do create my own stuff, that's kind of the big thing is like I want to make sure that it's got all the kind of tones that I want. Um, I get very hands-on. I have very specific ideas for what I want for each song. Um, so, you know, even if I'm creating it with somebody else um, who's playing that particular part on, you know, the, the guitar or something like that, like I'll work with them on the tone of it to make sure it's really matching the kind of thing I'm going for. Um, or on the parts. Um, so sometimes I've wondered if that, you know, can make me a little bit difficult to work with, but um, that's why I think you just got to make sure you're, you're appropriately valuing the people that you're working with, you know, ideally that you are paying them, um, and that you also have a good direction uh, so you're not just kind of starting from nothing, um, which is definitely how I think it, uh, it's, it has been for... I don't know, a lot of my life where I try to work with somebody, I wouldn't really know how to say what I wanted. Um, so now I'm getting better at that. But there's still a little ways to go. But in, in terms of doing the production, it's very important to me because I feel like so much of the emotion is wrapped up in, you know, the little tiny extra things that you put in there. Um, and you can't expect a producer to have the same level of attachment to the final product right. uh, that you do, you know, and to really pull out all of that um, all of the ideas from your head perfectly. Um, so that's typically why I, I like to be a lot more involved. It's almost like when somebody makes the comments, some, you know, this person or that person produced my music or produced my album or whatever the case may be, that has to be further defined because it's almost right. like it, it, it doesn't, it, it can mean a million different things. So that's right. kind of interesting because that's, it's, it's almost become like a catch-all um, label, so yeah. to speak. Um, yeah, totally. So, now, you had said, this is a quote, this album is my best work from my past decade and represents my first real foray into the music world with my original songwriting and as a lead singer. Um, so how, what is the projected time frame to be releasing all of these 12 songs that will be on this? So the, the plan for this is to do one song per month along with a music video. Um, and so that will put all of it out by about April of next year. Um, may, it may be um, May because I got a little bit behind with the first video. Um, so I'm catching up with that kind of stuff. The, the script for the second video is, is done and we're doing the photo shoot for the third video on Sunday. And I'm starting to put together the narrative for that third video uh, now as well. Um, so I think I should be able to stay on track for that, but that's, that's kind of the goal is just a new song and a new video every month. Uh, so basically the song comes out uh, at the start of the month um, or in the middle, and then the, the music video comes out two weeks after that. So every two weeks there's a new piece of content that's coming out for it. So tell us a little bit about more time and what this song meant to you, since this is the one that is, it, it's, it's released as of what date? Sorry, can you say the last thing again? Oh, uh, what date is More Time released? And, and can you tell us a little bit about that song, since that's the most recent one? Yeah, totally. So More Time came out on uh, June 11th, uh, last Friday, okay. I believe. Uh, as, yeah, so one week ago today. Um, and that is actually, that's the one song on the album that I didn't directly write about my own experience. Um, one of the things that is interesting about it um, is that I 
have noticed that even when I don't write songs about my own experience, there's usually a lot of my own <laughs> experience that I'm injecting in through the imaginative, you know, exploration that happens when you try to write a song. So even when you're thinking yeah. about talking from somebody else's point of view, it's very difficult not to just kind of put, um, to attach your own experience in ways that you may not even be noticing into it. Um, so, but when I first wrote it, it was about, you know, two friends of mine that were struggling in their relationship. Um, you know, the, they had been dating for a while, but then it, it broke up and, you know, the girl wanted to get back with the guy and the guy was like, well, you know, I don't really trust this yet. Um, I need more time to figure this out. Um, and to feel safe in this interaction again. Um, and, you know, she really wanted to move things faster and he wasn't really ready for that. So kind of exploring that type of dynamic. Um, and the way that the whole thing happened was um, my mixing engineer, Felix, who's a good friend of mine for the past couple of years, um, super talented mixing engineer. He mixed the whole album, uh, just did an excellent job. Um, he, I think about three years ago, was like, hey, dude, why don't we write a pop song? Uh, let's write it about being afraid. You come up with the lyrics and the melody, and I will, you know, do the music production. So um, we did it, and that's kind of where the song came from is out of that spot. I just thought, well, what are situations where I know where, you know, somebody might be experiencing some fear and is struggling with that, and then try to imagine from that point of view. Um, one of the things that's interesting is that, you know, when I actually, you know, was trying to work it into this album and how does it make sense, um, I was able to kind of pull out some of the themes that made sense in terms of my own uh, experience. Um, for example, um, in this kind of overarching sequence of songs, um, there's a way in which, you know, I was uh, caught in that old identity um, and that wouldn't let me um, really fully uh, live my life. And so I was really kind of running out of time um, to, and I, I was acting out of a fear mentality as well. Um, right. Like I'm afraid to jump in. I'm afraid to really embrace life uh, and I'm running out of time. So like, I just need a little bit more time and then I'll pursue my dreams. Then I'll, you know, push through and like figure out how to make this work and how to live my life to the fullest. Um, but it was doing the exact same dynamic. Um, so I wonder if that's part of uh, what I was somehow connecting with uh, and part of how this, the lyrics just kind of flowed uh, freely out during that songwriting time because I totally had, a, you know, something else that was similar going on inside of me that I was connecting with as these lyrics were just kind of coming out, uh, imagining this other guy's experience. Right, right. Now we're getting to, a, to the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you, when this album is completed next year, what comes next? Yeah, so um, I haven't completely figured out all of that, but there's a couple thoughts there. Um, the first thought is, uh, well, so there's a couple, one of the other goals behind doing one song a month is that it helps me to have consistent content so I can build a fan base over, you know, the next year. And like right, right now I'm not playing shows or anything, but I'm building my fan base in a very intentional way where, you know, I do my own marketing and people who come in jump on my email list. They tell me where, you know, what city they're in and all that stuff, and they might even give me their phone number so that I can know where are my fans located. And then from there, I can actually start planning a tour to, like, knowing, okay, I've got, you know, 20 fans in Cincinnati, you know, 100 in New York, and I can plan exactly what cities I'm going to go to. 
because I know how many fans are there, and I can reach out directly to those fans um, based on their location um, via you know text or email. Um, so it's that's, strategic. That's really what you're doing. It's a strategic plan, and exactly. um, that's amazing. Yeah. So that's that's Very the big cool. goal. Is like I want to be able to tour at the end, um, and then you know after that I've got a bunch of other um, singles that aren't really attached to a particular overarching narrative um, that I would want to try to release and um, you know do some some interesting visuals along with that. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm discovering I really love filmmaking a lot. This this last one was my first real intense uh, story driven video. And I did a lot of VFX with it, like um, you know, some CGI, putting planets in the sky, some laser blasts, stuff right. like that. And I enjoyed that way more than I anticipated. So um, I might do some of that stuff uh, connected with the music then as well. But uh, people can expect to see a lot of a lot more visual effects and, and narrative uh, in the next 11 chapters of um, the story. So. Well, Luke, it was a, a pleasure to speak with you. Um, and Wow, I would like to see more music and definitely more of your work with video if that's coming up as well. That would be great. But um, I I wish you the best of luck. Uh, We're going to put information out about more time this next single, and we'll be be watching for all the ones that are coming after. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anita. The the second video should come out in about two weeks. Um, I'm filming it next Wednesday. Um, So here's... Here's to hoping, but I'll, I'll definitely get it to you when it's ready. All right. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, and you have a great weekend. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on, Anita. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. You're listening to Rock at Night. The introductory song, Get On Down, is from blues artist Billy, Billy Bass Alford. Look for his music at ReverbNation.com.